Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Make sure not to miss a single podcast and subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite subscription service. The views expressed in this presentation are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Army War College, U.S. Army, or Department of Defense. Welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Ron Granary, Professor of History at the Department of National Security and Strategy at the U.S. Army War College and podcast editor of The War Room. It's a pleasure to have you with us. How do people learn best? Even before COVID upended academic life, institutions such as the U.S. Army have relied on a combination of distance and residential instruction, built on the assumption that with proper safeguards and practices, both could be equally effective in communicating information and encouraging excellence. But is that so? Or rather, how can we make sure that that is so? Whether current distance learning practices truly match up to expectations has been a subject of study for Colonel Jeffrey Bailey, a member of the U.S. Army War College Class of 2021, who built his strategy research project on an analysis of graduates of five Army career courses. We have invited Colonel Bailey here today to join us on A Better Peace to discuss his research on the subject of distance learning and his thoughts on how the Army can better integrate such distance learning into its training and talent management without losing the benefits that come with other forms of learning as well. Colonel Jeffrey Bailey is a chaplain with almost 30 years of enlisted and commissioned service. He is committed to civilian education, earning a bachelor's from the University of Texas at El Paso and a master's and doctorate from Baylor University. After graduation from the War College, he is heading to the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. But for today, we are delighted to have him with us. Welcome to A Better Peace, Colonel Bailey. Good morning, Ron. It's great to be with you this morning. Thank you very much for the invitation to discuss this topic and to discuss really the importance of distance learning as a viable process for educating our officers to ensure that the total army is ready to face whatever happens under multi-domain operations uh, if our nation is asked to serve in large-scale combat operations against an adversary we need to ensure that our officers are properly trained and educated you bet well and so what brought you specifically to this uh research topic right to the what made you concerned about uh the, the value and the use of distance education? Well, a couple of things brought me to this topic. One of them is for a long time, there's always been this give and take and back and forth between traditional brick and mortar or resident education and distance learning with many arguing, well, residential learning is far superior. And the second was what I observed as I watched uh, couple of chaplains going through distance learning the career course back in 2012. Uh, a chaplain disappeared for two days into an office and came back two days later and said, I had completed the entire common core for my career course. And I walked away scratching my head wondering how productive could that be and how effective could that be because that's eight weeks worth of material that you just covered in two days. So in my mind, that threw up a red flag, mm -hmm. that there's no way there could be equivalency. Um, 
The other is when I was in the reserve, I had to do a reclassification from one MOS to another MOS or military occupational specialty. And I remember, of course, this was in the 90s. I simply received a stack of yellow books <laughs> in my mailbox. Right. And in those days, you went through, you read the material, you took the test in the back, filled out a Scantron sheet, and mailed it off, and then waited, hoping you achieved a 70% or better on each one. Things have changed a lot since then. Technology has changed. And then the last one was COVID. Mm -hmm. COVID provided the perfect catalyst, the perfect opportunity to really ask ourselves and examine and assess, have we achieved learning outcome equivalency between resident learning and distance learning? So those are the questions that kind of brought me to this, that drove me to this topic. Well, and and the... Uh, what is the current place or, or before, before COVID? Cause clearly COVID has changed everything. I mean, even this recording that we're doing is a form of distance education because we're doing it over a, an online platform rather than together in a studio. This is all stuff that we've learned just in the past 15 months, but what has been the place of distance learning in army educational practice, right? Were career courses primarily distance learning, uh, before the age of COVID? That's a great question. Before COVID, the distance learning model for the career course, and I will speak specifically about the, for the chaplain for career course, we had three modes. The first one was a six-month PCS resident course at Fort Jackson, South Carolina. The second one was a distance learning version that was two weeks approximately completely distance learning and then two weeks temporary duty at Fort Jackson in resident. And then the third place was this hybrid version that we created there for a bit because there was a backlog of captains who had not gone through the career course, which was a mix of the one model and the second model. And primarily only Compo One or active duty personnel went to the six month resident mm -hmm. course. Mm -hmm whereas National Guard and Army Reserve went through the second model, which was distance learning with two weeks distance and two weeks residence. Right. I mean, this idea, I mean, you, you uh, there are a bunch of different things to talk about that we've talked about on podcasts here and we will in the future about the, the differential treatment of Compo 1 and Compo 2, uh, which we might get to now, but if we don't, that's, uh, don't worry. Uh, don't worry, everybody. We'll, we'll be talking about that some other time. But, but this idea that some people are able to do PCS and go to Fort Jackson and everybody else is supposed to study in Fort Living Room, right? This is a, um, this is a long-term issue. And of the people that you surveyed or the surveys that you used for your research, what did they, what did they say about their, let's say their expectations for distance learning? Did they feel as though uh, distance learning was something that they had to do, that they were missing out on, uh, on a better experience? Or um, were there advantages to distance learning that people embraced from the beginning? You know, that's, that was one of the overwhelming responses I received, not only from the resident learners who we surveyed, but also from the distance learner we surveyed. Both groups overwhelmingly said that the distance learning was by no means equivalent with resident learning, but there were many things they missed out. Some of them are the intangibles, right. like the networking and the relationships that are built. The second and the more important one was the ability to comprehend the material, integrate the material into their concept of leadership, their roles and functions as an officer, both 
in providing the support as well as simply doing staff operations. In fact, the biggest, largest area where we found discrepancy was on the Common Core exam. And the Common Core exam, the reason why I honed in on that was because Common Core material is common across all branches. It doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you're field artillery, infantry, signal corps, nurse corps, or chaplain, you have to learn that material in order to properly integrate into the Army, speak the proper language, and then take your specific branch specialty, your expertise, and integrate it into a comprehensive plan for the United States Army. And what I saw was resident learners they scored on average 87% on the Common Core exam. Distance learners taking that exact same exam averaged 66%. Wow. That's a 21% degradation, and which is trouble. Which, and that's what really made me think. Yeah, sorry. Go no, ahead. no, actually, I can see where that would really make one notice. I mean, a 20-point difference when we're considering there are no other uh, internal differences, right? Everybody is the same. Uh, they're all equally qualified folks to be in this career course to begin with. Um, is that what you're talking about in the in the paper you refer to the capability gap? Is that the capability gap that you're referring to? Absolutely. There's a capability gap because if that individual doesn't properly understand the material because the educational process has not afforded them the ability to properly comprehend and integrate the material, then what we've essentially done is create educational haves and have-nots, which then places this individual down at a company level or, you know, for chaplains, they start at battalion level, mm -hmm. but they are working on the staffs and in direct leadership roles where they don't understand the foundational material they need to know at the company grade level. And those deficiencies are only going to follow them or hinder their forward progress from that point on, uh, which is why it is critical that we get this educational process right, mm -hmm. while understanding that this doesn't say we shouldn't do distance learning. It says we need to analyze how we do distance learning to ensure there is learning outcome equivalence. Right. Well, and of the of the people that you were surveying, right, assuming that these were surveys, um, uh, what were the years that these folks had uh, taken these captain's courses. So were they all pre-COVID? Um, and related to that, technologically speaking, um, I guess they had gotten beyond yellow books and scantrons, but had they reached the level of Microsoft Teams and all of the the panoply of technological things that we use, we, we've started to use in the past year and a half? Or is this even, are we talking about folks who were even before the, uh, the, the, the possibility of synchronous distant learning existed? That's a great question. That was one of the things that we found. So the groups I looked at, I looked at two distance learning courses that just graduated here recently. Mm -hmm. And I looked at the three previous resident courses just prior to those. And the reason I looked at those, because I found 62 students from the resident course and I had 66 students from distance learning courses. So I, gave, I had approximately equal groups to then sample and survey. I then sent them both the exact same survey. And it was an anonymous survey where they had to quantify what they believed their proficiency was in terms of the learning outcomes and the impact of the schoolhouse in developing those efficiencies and of course, then I looked at their score results. Mm -hmm. One of the things that came out that you spoke of 
is the question of synchronous learning platforms like Microsoft Teams or Blackboard or asynchronous delivery. And unfortunately, although we've moved away from the yellow book Scantron sheets, the distance learning delivery of curriculum wasn't much better. In fact, the Army, not too long ago, did away with Jeff in the sweater vest for the online cybersecurity training because it was ineffective. It was check the block yeah. and people moved on and they even started dressing up like Jeff the sweater vest for and avoiding uh, Halloween. And avoiding women named Tina. That's her. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was the challenge. And what's, what they didn't do is they didn't properly design the distance learning material to ensure it was effective. Mm -hmm. And there were three axes of distance learning kind of design that we look at. In fact, many people have realized you actually have to over-design distance learning mm -hmm. to overcome the geographic distance gap created. So these three axes are really the student curriculum interaction, the student to instructor interaction, and what we all agree with and experience in learning is the student to student mm -hmm. interaction. Mm -hmm. It would seem that it's that, and of course, in my I'm sorry, but it would seem like it's that last one in particular that's the hardest thing to to maintain when you're doing distance learning. It's one that your students can interact with the curriculum, they can interact with the instructor, but how do you get them to interact with each other? Absolutely, in a classroom setting, and luckily, I got to serve at the Chaplain Center School for a while. I was a chief of doctrine, and I was uh, in charge of tasks and concepts, but that also meant I got to guest teach. Mm -hmm. And I taught uh, defense support civil authorities, and I taught operations process, and I taught doctrine. Mm -hmm. Of course, everything we do is rooted in doctrine. And one of the things that was great is while I was at the schoolhouse, there were these civilians who were in charge of educational development of the instructors. And they would push you and test you and help you figure out how to get the students to be in charge of the learning outcomes, to interact with each other. And to put the learning responsibility on them, but also understand that as they start integrating the material and discussing the material, they are also bringing a wealth of experience with them into that classroom. Mm -hmm. They're bringing the various assignments they've had, their life experience, their untested biases or unconscious biases and assumptions, which classmates will call them on. Mm -hmm. And that actually exponentially increases the effectiveness of learning outcomes. And in distance learning, there are ways to do this. There are ways to utilize things like Microsoft Teams or Blackboard to have group discussions where the instructor is there as a facilitator and not the stage on stage on a stage. Mm -hmm. um, and so, technology will definitely help, <clears throat> as you've as you su you've suggested. Um, I want to come back to that, but a question just uh, has been tickling at the back of my mind. And I want to ask it, I don't know if your research covers this or not. And that is, do we have any sense of the differential uh, career outcomes for those who have participated in these career courses as residential programs versus those who participate in them as distance programs? Or is the fact that basically most residential programs are compo one and most distance are compo two mean that there's no way to compare them to each other? Right now, we don't have the differential to compare. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is if we look at uh, Army Regulation 350-1, it specifically talks about the fact that in files and in educational reports, 
there will be no delineation or anything to designate that an individual did it via distance or resident learning. That way there, they cannot be a bias in a promotion board or selection board, okay. which is good. Yeah. And that's one of the biases we need to make sure is there. Just like, I think, removing the photographs mm -hmm. and height and weight and gender away from ORBs is going to help us, I think, make sure we remove a lot of unconscious biases in the selection process. The challenge we see is really in the competence level of these people when they're working. Um, and what's troubling is primarily this is the model we've used for reserve and national guard. And for decades now, we've had active component people disparagingly say that the reserve and the guard can't keep up. And I would offer it's because we've provided them education that is substandard compared to the active component. So it's unfair. Mm -hmm to then assess somebody against a different standard mm -hmm. when the education they receive is different. Right. Well, so that then gets to the question that I started to ask a second ago, which I will now actually ask. And that is, so if technology, is technology going to solve this problem, right? Is it, is with greater, uh, greater distance synchronicity, um, will that make it possible to have more of the kind of interactions that will make it feel more like a residential program? And so therefore overcome the, the alienating aspects of distance learning. Um, that's part one. And part two of that question is, is what other reforms do you see um, need to be put into place in order to close this, this capability gap? I think technology is a great venue and a great means to employ. Mm -hmm. The challenge is we need to look at the ways in which we are utilizing this tool. It's great to have the tool, but you can't simply take the old method of doing it, put it onto a new technology and say, voila, mm -hmm. we have the answer. In fact, right here in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, the Dickinson College had instructors and professors who tried to transition to online platforms, and there were some challenges at the beginning, but they exercised incredible adaptability and flexibility, modified the delivery of the curriculum. And even in fact, one of the instructors or professors worked with the department to ship sewing machines out to her students because it was a stage technology classroom. Uh -huh. And this way they could still produce the materials and the products they would create in a laboratory or in their lab setting as part of that class and continue to learn from wherever they were in the United States. Hmm. So that's one of the things we have to look at is how do we actually employ the technology. It's one thing to have an M1 Abrams. It's another thing to know how to use it and stop using Sheridan uh, tactics. Right. Well, and so that then that gets to the question of what are the obstacles that exist to these reforms? Uh, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw one out because I imagine it's probably there. And that is any change to whatever we do right now probably is going to cost more money. And so, but what other obstacles might exist? I mean, what do you think is, what do you think is holding us back or what do we need to be aware of that we need to overcome as an army in order to uh, deal with the, this capability gap? Part of dealing with the capability gap is committing to equivalency mm -hmm. is the starting point. We have to say that, yes, we want learning outcome equivalency, whether it's resident or distance learning, which means we need to give just as much priority to distance learning curriculum development as we do resident learning curriculum development, we need to regularly conduct reviews of the curriculum 
and ensure that it's staying on par, we need to also conduct surveys mm. of the graduates themselves, as well as the commanders they work for, because the reality is commanders are the customers. Commanders are the ones that every schoolhouse provides their graduates to in order to provide ready and trained forces to the joint force, which means they're the ones who will tell us whether our training is relevant and effective. And then we can go back and modify it. The other thing we need to look at is force structure and dedicated distance learning divisions at the schools where the distance learning instructors and facilitators are viewed on par with resident learning instructors because people often think, well, if I have a distance learning course, I'm no longer limited to say 30 students. In fact, I could put 60 people through that course in the same amount of time and I'm gonna save money and it's far more effective. Well, that's not accurate, especially if the learning is asynchronous in nature. Because what that means, that instructor has to be just as available for those 60 students now and also has to be ready at a moment's notice to answer a question from anywhere in the entire breadth of the curriculum, as opposed to that instructor who is taking people step by step from lesson number one to lesson number X. Mm -hmm. uh, my son was doing distance learning here recently, of course, as everybody has during COVID. And I thought I would not want to be a pre-algebra teacher <laughs> in an asynchronous manner because that is complicated. And you have to remember where each student is when they ask a question. Right. And you think of the you think of the the variety of questions that will come at you from multiple directions, rather than if you're in a classroom with everybody doing everything at the same time, you'll get the one question of the one thing that you're talking about, as opposed to everybody coming at you when they when it when it strikes them that they have a question. Absolutely. And the one thing that you lose, you don't have that student to student interaction where students are helping each other learn the material. So in my son's class, when a student was struggling with a concept, a student who understood it well could explain it to them and help them while this teacher was helping another student. Right. So there's this additive feature when you have student to student interaction. The other challenge we have that we have to come up and overcome is really, you could call it apathy or ambivalence. This notion, well, COVID-19 is going to be over soon. So this is just temporary. Let's go back to the status quo because systems, especially complex adaptive systems, like homeostasis. They don't like change. But the reality is reserve component, which comprises of the Army Reserve and the National Guard, comprises 60% of our total army. We can't go back to normal because we've realized normal wasn't effective and it wasn't working. And we also have to think about the fact we are probably facing the prospect of flat budgets, mm -hmm. increased operational demands, and the requirement for agile and flexible leaders operating in large-scale combat operations under anti-access and aerial denial, where they won't be able to pick up the radio, pick up the phone, or get on computer because they might go into periods of communication blackout mm -hmm. where they can't talk because as soon as they turn any system on, They've now set up a signature, which means now the adversary can target them. Right. So we need leaders who are capable of operating really with autonomy. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, we need to make sure that all leaders have had training and preparation that is equivalent so that we can rely on them all to be able to do these things. Absolutely. Let me ask you then this. Um, as we as we think, as we, as we wrap up this conversation, the... Um, how sanguine are you 
about the possibility that the research that you've done on these five cap these five groups of students, right? This hundred and twenty-eight total students that you have to talk about. Is there any appetite in the army for longer term or continuous survey and study of these students to see whether there are changes over time to see whether for us to even measure the effectiveness of what reforms we are able to put into place? Or is this going to be the thing is there'll be some reforms and then we'll go for a while until some other smart chaplain comes to the war college and decides to write his SRP on how we're still not solving this problem. Well, I think in terms of long-term or longitudinal studies of these particular students, that I don't know if we're looking into that or there's an appetite for that. I think that's definitely something we should look into. Mm -hmm. But I do know that Training and Doctrine Command, General Funk, Mm -hmm. has very much uh, developed a sense of urgency Mm -hmm. among his staff to look into distance learning and ask ourselves, what are we doing properly? What are we not doing properly? What do we need to change? What do we need to retain? And what are the steps we need to take to ensure that distance learning truly demonstrates equivalency? Mm -hmm. Because we need that for the total force, especially if we're going to be prepared for whatever our next adversary is, wherever that takes place. Do you do you foresee having any bandwidth or or possibilities of engaging with this topic yourself in the future? I mean, obviously, the, the Corps of Engineers is going to find things for you to do. Uh, when you when you go there, but um, do you do you imagine yourself staying engaged in these questions of educational policy uh, going forward? I absolutely plan on staying engaged in this conversation regarding educational policy because, as senior leaders in the army, we have responsibility to train and educate those who are coming after us in order to ensure we are ready to meet the mission and to accomplish what the nation has requested us to defend the homeland. I've been in conversation, of course, in my own branch with people like the chief of chaplains and the deputy chief of chaplains, as well as the commandant and the director of training at the chaplain center school regarding what we found here. And they're already starting to relook their distance learning approach, the curriculum, the programs and instruction. So I have a positive outlook that this is a conversation that's going to continue. Mm-hmm. It's a conversation that needs to continue. Because we have to understand that equivalency is possible, but more importantly, equivalency is necessary. Right. Well, and then let me end with a question of a semi-personal question for you. So as you as you reach the end of your year as a student at the U.S. Army War College, how has the experience of um, essentially being a residential student in a distant era um, how has your that that hybrid experience for you shaped your uh, understanding of the the value, the possibilities of distance learning. You know, it's been an interesting year, and I joke with some of my friends that if anybody ever asked me, "Did you go to the resident course or the distance <laughs> course?" I can say, "Why, yes, I yes, did. I did." Yeah, because COVID has created some unique challenges, and I have watched and, of course, gone through where some instructors were incredibly adept at utilizing the technology and ensuring that students were engaged, assessing our learning, and preparing us then for the exam, or really more importantly, integration of the material to utilize it as leaders leaving the work college to operate at the strategic level. And that's renewed with me and me in understanding that technology can be leveraged, but we have to be very careful about how we use the technology and ensure that it's 
achieving the ends which we want to achieve. Uh, in fact, my next assignment at the Corps of Engineers, I will be the command chaplain of an organization with a mission around the world. And I will be a team of two, myself and my religious affairs specialists. We will need to leverage technology in order to build trust and provide care for people around the world. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how we leverage technology to meet those uh, two objectives, as well as then network and build relationships with the Army Reserve and the National Guard across the United States in order to help take care of the Corps of Engineers personnel, uh, incredible team professionals, uh, but they need care as well. And I'm gonna figure out how to do that. And technology is gonna be one of those tools I will utilize. Sure. Well, and it's good to bring lots of capabilities there and to, uh, I know that among the things the engineers do is they do fill in gaps, they build bridges, um, and hopefully you'll get an opportunity to uh, to do some of that. But uh, this has been a very interesting discussion. Uh, Colonel Jeff Bailey, thank you so much for joining us to talk about uh, distance learning in the Army here on A Better Peace. Well, thank you, Ron. And I look forward to watching this conversation continue as the Army commits to distance learning equivalency and developing the right competencies and capabilities at scale across the Army. Great. Well, thank you, Colonel Bailey, and thanks to all of you for listening in. Please send us your comments on this program and on all of our programs, and send us suggestions about future programs. We're always eager to hear from you. And please, after you have subscribed to A Better Peace, because of course, if you haven't already, you need to subscribe to A Better Peace, please rate and review this podcast on your podcatcher of choice, which helps other potential listeners to find us so that we can continue to grow this community. And so while this conversation is over, the conversations will continue on A Better Peace, and we look forward to welcoming you all back again. But until next time, from the War Room, I'm Ron Granary. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.